welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, let's welcome another guest to the show today, Stephen Timoney. Stephen, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I found you on Twitter. I thought you had a cool page. And what I like to do is anyone I find interesting, I like to bring them on the show. And, you know, I find there's so many cool people out there who've got things going on in their life. I just love learning about them. So what gets you excited about life? Question. Uh, <laughs> what gets me excited about life? I mean, that changes from time to time. Currently, my most exciting thing is the entrepreneurial journey that I've decided to take on over the last three to four months of my life. Do you think entrepreneurship is a calling? Do you believe in choosing your own fate or it finds you? What do you think about that? I honestly really think I've had this itch in my mind for years. And I don't know whether if you go all the way back to school, like not enjoying school and not enjoying the system in that way, I never really excelled but was talented enough to get through school. I don't know if anybody else resonates with that, that you weren't an A or B student, you're sort of like a C or a D, but you did enough to get by because of you're quick-witted, you're able to do stuff, but you're just not really into like following the procedures of read this chapter, do this thing, do it this way. You're like, why am I doing it this way? I don't know. There's got to be an easier way to do this. So I've always had that all the way through. And then when I was working for other people, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy authority, but I enjoyed authority when... I thought authority was doing the right thing, that they were doing smart moves. So it's not like I'm always pushing back on people, but especially over the last sort of five, six, seven years in my sort of higher paid corporate jobs, I've had this itch where sometimes I'd just be like, I could be doing something on my own. And when you get into the corporate system, I ended up being a project management in the insurance world. You spend periods of your day just wondering, I'm doing all this work for somebody else. And I don't really agree with the direction of the work, but I'm having to do it. But yet there's other things out there in the world that I really enjoy and inspire to do. And I want to be doing that more often. You actually start to figure out who you are. Some people get it at 19 or 20. They decided what they want to do. I think I started to discover what I wanted to do four or five years ago for me because I just turned 40 a year and a bit ago. I've really enjoyed coaching people. I really enjoy helping people get the systems together to make improvements, whether that's in the corporate environment or the sales environment, it's helping people do more in less time. And I've done the same kind of hacking in my own life. Five or six years ago, it would have been like biohacking, it was called like routine or habit hacking, whatever that was, you know, you had books by Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Diet and all that stuff. Everybody's like trying to hack their energy. And I was really into that movement, but it really helped me become a better performer myself. And then when you start looking at people around you, a lot of people don't know these skills. They don't spend time investing in them. I ended up being able to help people in the corporate environment, be more productive. And then I started taking that onto Twitter and it just evolved from there to now that three or four months ago, I left my corporate job to start my own coaching business. That's amazing. What a great story. And you've finally made it where you went from the inkling that something's not right, which I call it a gut feeling because no one's going to give you a path to say, okay, now it's time to be an entrepreneur. You have to find it in you and you have to say, I am more than this. And everyone goes from, trying to rent their time for more and more, get a better salary, as you said, or more prestige. But it's all bullshit at the end of the day, because even CEOs for hire making a quarter million dollars a year, 
still have to answer to a board of directors. They still have chains. And it's tough because life goes on whether you like it or not. Being able to choose what you do with your time, I think that's purpose. And it's good to have humility in life and say, you don't have to be the best to do something. So here's someone who became an entrepreneur, but you didn't have to say, I was the best student, so I have to be an entrepreneur. People who attach passion as fuel, as opposed to being told I'm the smartest or this is what I have to do, I think you'll go a lot further. And if I was a betting man, I would bet on you doing your own business versus you as a corporate guy, because there's something about that energy and that drive. It's basically 24 seven. You learn how to regulate it a little bit better. That's good. And this coaching thing, where did you first stumble upon it? Was there one habit that really accelerated your life where you said, okay, there's something to this? I fix things when I work somewhere. I can't help it. I left university with a cookie cutter business degree at the university in the very end of the 90s, 1999 into the early 2000s. I was like, I didn't know what to do. So I just picked business because that's general enough. It allowed me to get into management positions pretty much straight away after university. And, and I worked in retail. So I was kind of lazy because I, I liked clothes when I was in my early 20s. I liked looking good. and You know, because like the ladies, you want to look good. And you want to look cool. So I was working retail store as I was working in a university and I just ended up being a manager. But what I found as my management and leadership skills developed is that I just had this thing where I wanted to make things better everywhere where I went. But it wasn't just about better. I wanted to do less work myself, but I wanted to get better results. I call it being tactically lazy, where you want to work less hours, but get more results. And I kind of stumbled on that. And everywhere I've been, I've just kind of fixed things. And then when I moved to Canada 10 years ago, I left normal high street or mall retail behind me. And I went and worked for a very large Canadian company, which you guys will know. I don't mind mentioning them here. It was a commissioned sales company. It was called Harry Rosen. You guys have probably come across that. I've met Harry Rosen's brother. I used to be a valet guy in Toronto. And we would work, I think it was, let's say, Wellington Street or somewhere. Events all over the city. But sometimes we would get regular gig work through the company. And I'm like 19 years old. And I'd be valeting people's cars who would come shop at Harry Rosen. Of course, the valet was comped. Why not? They're spending $20,000 on clothes. So yeah, that's cool. We actually both have sales backgrounds. And there's something interesting about sales because it helps you start to think that there are other ways to make money. Isn't that true? Yes. It was working at Harry Rosen and having clients that were entrepreneurs, lawyers, people who had done TED Talks. Having these conversations with these people was the first time that I actually realized these people aren't any different from me. They just chose to do something different with their life. There's nothing innately, obviously they're talented and stuff. I'm not saying people aren't special. I'm just saying that when you actually get to know, I worked there for about five years. I went from just selling to being a general manager within a very short period of time. And going back to the entrepreneurial thing is that I got a lot of joy from seeing my team who I was helping succeed do better than my own sales. Seeing new staff members come in and go from zero to one million and under a year in sales with my help was such a buzz. And a couple of the staff started calling me coach. And it was just sort of like this idea of, I like that. I like this manager coach kind of vibe and the processes and making systems that allowed us to close the store quickly, making systems when we were doing sale, everything was kind of a mess. There's lots of these different opinions. And I was like, let's coordinate and 
let's make sure we're all running off the same hymn sheet. I just have this innate ability to be like, let's just make things easier for everybody. It's just my thing. And I took that on from Harry Rosen. I ended up working for a large insurance company because I felt like I didn't want to work in retail anymore. So I tried to change my career. And I kind of ran away from the entrepreneurial thing a little bit because I went towards security with decent paycheck. First of all, it's that fear that people have. But going back to the other point where you're talking about the sales there and entrepreneurship, I had clients that I'd worked with. They found me in my first year and they stayed with me the whole five years I was there. And these are people that had these massive houses, multi-million dollar businesses. I just got talking to them. And I actually had one guy fairly early on, a guy called Dean, who actually, when I was selling him like a couple of thousand worth of clothes, I'd only been in the company six months. And he's written a couple of books. He's a motivational speaker within the corporate environment and other things. And he actually started asking me questions. What are your goals for the next six months? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Well, that's not good enough, Stephen. You should be able to exactly tell me what you're doing over the next six months. What are the other people aiming for around you? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do in 18 months? He started asking me all these questions. And I didn't know this guy. Like, I only just met him maybe once before, sold him something. And that one conversation I had with that one guy in Harry Rosen, when I was selling him some clothes, because he was a guy who was making millions a year or hundreds of thousands a year. I think he was working in real estate as well made me go out and start buying a whole bunch of books and studying and getting into, well, I should be planning. How do you plan personal development? How do you set goals? What do you go after? What skills do I need to know? And it's kind of funny that one conversation from one random person can just like shift your trajectory of your life. I can relate to that. I had very similar experience. Funny enough, right after I finished school or university, I started working part-time at Banana Republic. Just wanted to get a job going because it was during the 08-09 financial crisis, and my background is accounting and finance, so it was a field I wanted to get into, but it seemed quite difficult at the time, so I thought, I can't stay at home, let me get a job. So I started working at Banana Republic, and that's when I really started on the sales floor, and one thing led to another. One of my managers there thought I was really good, heard me talk about cars a lot. Her brother-in-law was working as a sales manager at a luxury car dealership in downtown Toronto. So he was looking for some people and she recommended me after asking me. And I said, absolutely, I'd love it. But what I wanted to say is once I got into selling luxury cars downtown Toronto, you have this similar kind of clients that you've been interacting with, very high net worth, people that really work hard and most of them have their own businesses, they're entrepreneurs themselves. Some are C-suite executive level, but a lot of them have that similar mentality. And a couple of them really stood out. And I remember specifically one of them told me that he used to work at a dealership and sales. And now he was running two businesses and he was doing incredibly well for himself. And that's when he started telling me, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to stick doing car sales? And at the time I was relatively new. It's been a few years at the time, but it really stuck. And I thought as much as I enjoyed the industry, it's not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So it really got me going. And I can definitely relate to that. It brings me to a point as well that I had a conversation with one of my managers later on in life at a different dealership. He asked me if money motivated me. And I said, no, it was the result of my work. So when I see customers happy, genuinely, I would go back home with a huge smile on my face, knowing that I did a good job, knowing that the end customer was enjoying their experience. They enjoyed that. And I thought, this is just a vehicle delivery. Now, obviously, it's a big purchase for those people, but I'm thinking to myself, what can I do to really bring that joy to something more useful, to contribute to society? And that's the thing is, you work smart knowing that there's a shortage in terms of 
what you're doing right now and being able to capitalize on that, that basically gives you a heads up even for someone who might know more than you, but is not doing anything about it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The conversations that you have and the environments that you put yourself in have a dramatic effect on your outcomes in life. I think Jim Rowan said you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I used to laugh that off, but I really believe it. it is so true. Yeah, you're the average of your five best friends. I've heard it as well. And it's true because university days, partying and drinking, if your friends do that, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And that's your life. That's your identity. And eventually, whether you like it or not, what you do with your time is going to be who you are. So whether you're proud or you're happy or you hate your job, that's who you are. You know, a lot of people identify themselves by I'm doing better than my friends. Oh, I got this job. I'm making more money. For example, like it's a very easy thing to think about because it's the first thing that you're told. You're told to get a good job. You spend years in school saying, get good grades and then maybe you'll make it. There's no really A to B on how to get there. No one gives a shit. No one says, you know what? How do we self-actualize to be the best person you can be in? I love how you said these spontaneous conversations because I even took entrepreneurship in business school and I didn't love it. Okay, here's Steve Jobs. He was cool. Here's Richard Branson. And there was no substance. So I remember shortly after that, I was doing philosophy. I was doing a mix of business and I hit a crossroads. I was like, what am I doing with my life? And it took me a really long time. I ended up leaving school and also from the valet job, getting into a car dealership, moving cars, and then eventually sales, sales management. But the path is not direct because you don't even understand the work that it takes to get there or the things you have to learn. And I have a quote myself, which is, I'd be very unhappy if I had the same job for 20 years. And what I mean by that is there's got to be more to life. Like, here's a great example. So you talked about getting, let's say, an average level grade. But in business or in retail, you hack the system and find a really fast way to do things. You're actually almost like a savant when it comes to looking things from the outside in. And it's funny how people don't even pay attention to that, but somehow you can craft it together. And here's my point, to do the basic job, to not get fired, to make it okay money, you can learn that in a year. So yeah. what do you do for the next 20 years? Once you already know the job, you're just getting the same paycheck, life's predictable. There's almost something sad when life's too predictable. Yeah, I see it a lot in the corporate environment that I worked in. The sales environment, you know, went from basically working retail sales my whole life at different levels. Like I climbed the different pyramids of retail sales from High Street Mall all the way up to Harry Rosen Luxury with a little bit of car sales in there as well. I sold some luxury cars for a brief time as well, but I didn't enjoy the six days a week, 10 hours a day. Car sales wasn't for me. But going back to working in the same job for 20 years, when I worked in the corporate environment, there were people who had been in the same position for 15 or 20 years that I was then managing. They were within the scope or the team that I was involved in. And I would tell you right now, the majority of the problems came from that group of people. The amount of pushback the amount of issues you had to carefully navigate usually came from that group. The newer people, people who've been in for less than a year, they're obviously quite difficult sometimes to deal with because you might have had a bad hire. But in general, 89% of those people are great. And then you have the people who are in the first five to 10 years are usually pretty fresh, still have worked in a couple of positions. But once they land in that position, they don't want to become a manager or they don't want to move up or they haven't got the qualifications to move up. So they hit a plateau. And yeah, I would say you're nearly down to a 50-50 split with those people to see whether they're actually going to be like a key person that's going to help you 
or somebody who is going to drag the system down and just kind of have this weight of, as you're saying, it's kind of like there's a dullness to them, sort of like there's something missing. And I think it's going back to that point you made. It's like you shouldn't be doing the same job for 10 or 15 years. I think it dulls your senses. Yeah, totally. It almost coaches yourself to have a predictable outcome. I find that if you don't have intrigue, like one of my things I like to talk about is I always say be curious about the world because when you get excited about something, you hyper learn it. I always liken it to playing a new video game. You can play it for hours and hours and hours. Time doesn't matter anymore. And then the excitement level is high, the engagement level is high. And eventually it gets boring unless it's some crazy online coordinated thing. But if it's just a normal game, eventually everything gets boring. So there's something about that. There was a stat, I think most people don't leave their state in the US ever their whole lives. So like, I'm not saying go travel, but now with the internet, we can be connected to anyone and everyone. So why aren't you learning a new skill or hobby? And you don't have to make it your identity. Just see what's out there. You know, I always believe in seeking out good mentors too, because I struggled with this as well, which is you can do all the right things and people will give you advice about what kind of job to get. And eventually someone's gonna be like, eh, I don't know. It was the very nonchalant attitude that people had when I was asking in university, like, do I become a professor? Do I get into business? And no one really cared. No one had that life-changing advice. And it's funny you mentioned TED Talks because I remember it was right around that time in the university. I think I binged on TED Talks for like two days. <laughs> and I was like, these are the guys I got to learn from. This is amazing. Yeah. And it sounds stupid, but I was like, I'm just going to not go to school anymore. I'm going to learn from TED Talks and figure out my life. And it takes a long time. Like You can debate the path, but there's something to be said about making your own decision even if people think it's the wrong one eventually it becomes the right one because you stand on your two feet you have conviction you say i know where i'm going and then you're okay with not having all the answers you don't care about how you look anymore so that is where i think if you coach that mind to say i want to try new things i want to learn new things learn from cool people it's a very common thread i think we all enjoy talking to people who are doing better than us and we want to learn from them that no one can take from you. Once you learn that and you have that energy and that excitement, it's there and it's fuel. And I love how you're very observant. So you say like someone in your environment can drag you down and maybe you don't even know why unless you're away from that. And the problem is if you're always in the same work environment, you're never going to think like, hey, I could do better. There's a common quote or idea that people talk about. You know, you've probably heard this about crabs in a bucket that if you put a whole bunch of crabs in a bucket, if one of them tries to escape, the other crabs will drag it back in. And I sometimes feel like within a corporate environment or when you surround yourself with people who have been doing the same job for 10 years and you're that one crab who's like, hey, have you tried doing this differently? And then the rest of the crabs are like, no, we're not going to do that. And I think that constant trying to get out of the bucket, constantly getting pulled down, that affects your confidence. That affects your mindset. And that is actually one of the reasons why I left the corporate environment because I worked for a massive company in British Columbia. So I'm not going to mention here on the pod and I got to the stage where I was working on a massive project. There's a massive change happening. And I'm one of those more, as you say, perspective, observant kind of people. I'm thinking about the internal customer, which is the staff and the external customer. And even at the management level, I was coming up against just repeating the same mistakes over and over again. This sort of like, have you tried it this way? Have you tried it this way? To the stage where I felt like I was becoming a grumpy complainer because I'm trying to do things differently. And I just noticed this sort of like, oh my God, this environment is starting to affect my confidence. 
I'm constantly feeling like I'm the odd one out because I'm trying to do things differently. And it was one of the reasons, plus other things and growing a Twitter account and many other things. But one of the key reasons was I felt like that environment, if I'd stayed there any longer, it would affect who I was as a person. It was starting to get inside me too much because I'd spent about five years there. And I got to the point where I was like, I need to walk away from this because this could alter my mindset. Yeah. That's very profound. Being able to just recognize that something's not right is a great insight. And you reminded me of a book I read called Tribal Leadership. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of the book. I've never read it. It's basically how people thousands of years have lived in tribes and the corporate world is a maximum of 100 or 150 people names you can remember. You can't remember tens of thousands if you work at Google or something crazy. So the idea was how culture is formed and how people come into tribes and get rejected and If you are a thief, you cause a lot of trouble, you will get rejected from your tribe. It's not acceptable Mm -hmm. in the workplace. But somewhere along the lines, as you go through five stages of enlightenment and that level two, three, which is I've been here forever. I don't want to do things a certain way. And that's kind of a very common thread where you don't actually get people that are productive that want to be there. I'm going to skip a little bit to the end. Someone was studying Fortune 500 companies and what makes some companies better than others. And what makes the people themselves do well and all resonate with each other and click. And what happened was, I think there was someone who was walking by a janitor and he was like, hey, why do you clean floors? And the guy said, I'm not cleaning floors. I'm curing cancer because we're working at a breakthrough research facility. Every part counts. And just hearing that, it's inspirational because if you can attach purpose to mopping floors or something that people might look down on, for example, nothing is going to stop you. You have your own resilience, your own drive. I would love to mop floors if I knew this is what I needed to do to move myself in the next direction. I've heard that story. It's probably been referenced in a couple of leadership books. I think even Simon Sinek has talked about it in some of his talks. I might be getting the person wrong, but it does sound like something I've read in another leadership book, but that is a beautiful story about culture. That's one of the things that a lot of large organizations get wrong. And these type of organizations that I've worked for, they have culture departments. They have like actual departments that create the culture. But the funny thing about them is that they're stuck in a head office somewhere. And 80, 90% of the workforce work out in these small regional offices. The people at head office make up all this cultural stuff. And you're kind of like, how does that work? It's the people out in the offices. It's not these ideas of these people who have MBAs or these smart people who came from big consultancy firms or PWCs, Deloitte. And they're all like, well, this is a great management strategy or this is a great culture strategy. We should roll this out. Honestly, just saying this to you makes me shiver down my spine because that's not how you build culture. You build culture from the ground up. You let your people build the culture. The people lead the culture build, not head office. And the problem with a lot of large organizations that I've been involved in, they put their cultural idea out in front of their staff and they force their staff to become part of a culture rather than letting their staff curate this culture and then help them water and grow it and let them feel like they're part of something. And I think that's a massive disconnect that you see in many large corporations across the world. And the reason why we know it's like that is because if it wasn't, there wouldn't be hundreds of books written about it every year. (laughs) Yeah, it is easy to get caught up in a little bit of the inspirational quotes kind of thing, but there's a merit to it, which is you have to think differently and find your own path and not just take what you're told at face value, right? So I think that's a common thread in how you do things. So back to the crab story, were there not a lot of crabs in Harry Rosen? I'm curious because 
for people stuck in the corporate world, you go from ground floor to general manager. Not everyone has to become an entrepreneur overnight. Maybe they just want to get better, get a promotion. So is there any advice you have about that? Because I think you hacked that system too. Why weren't there crabs bringing you down there? That's a good question. I think the difference between a commission sales environment where you're on zero wage, where the difference between a corporate environment is you're in two different worlds. In the Harry Rosen environment, every single person sells. That's one of their mottos, even the store manager. And you're in the results economy because your effort and the work that you do, you have to get results from it. In the corporate environment, you're in the effort economy where you're just doing stuff because you're going to get paid every two weeks anyway. You have a series of basic KPIs that are kind of set at the lower bar, like the more general average person. There's like an average bar because they've got to have a lower bar. So like a larger portion of the workforce actually fits into their key performance indicators. You also don't really get paid to be like a superstar. Yeah, you might get promoted and slowly build. But within a sales environment, the people who are below average, they're on the sales list. And at the end of every month, there's like a line drawn. And if any of your staff are below that line, the regional manager, the store manager saying, you need to coach these people. These people need to be above this line. They need to improve their multiple sales, their average transaction amount. They need to improve how they're showing up. So then you're coaching these people to excel in life. So there's not a lot of crabs in the bucket in that sense, because when it came to results in that sales environment, it was more like crabs fighting over food than crabs pulling people down. So the crabs would be in a competition of each other and it'd be quite competitive. And that can be very draining, especially when you get into the management level, you're dealing with interpersonal conflict a lot because you're in a commission sales. You've got two staff members arguing over a $5,000 sale, which could be $500 in commission. And you're having to interview both people and speak to them and find out who actually spoke to the client first. And there's all the name calling. And it's a very tense environment sometimes. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of Harry Rosen structures, they have a great organization. They do very well. And I've got a lot of respect for how they run their business. However, depending on who the managers are in the store, there was a Wolf of Wall Street boiler room kind of killer be killed attitude by a couple of the managers, which led into a lot of interpersonal conflict, which actually led me wanting to try to do something different. Because once I got into the management level, I really did feel like a lot of my day dealt dealing with people arguing, which was not an energy that I wanted to deal with. Within the corporate environment, and we go back to the effort environment, we're looking at crabs in the bucket. It's because a lot of the people who are average, when they see people performing above average, they're like, hey, don't do that. They'll expect the rest of us to match your work output. Don't do that. You don't get paid extra for being special here. That's literally words that I've heard people say, or along those ways. It's like, you're making us look bad by you being good. That's hilarious. Yeah, Yeah, but it's true. That's what some people would say. Some of the older staff would say to the younger staff when they come in, they'd be like really engaged, really wanting to perform. And you'd actually have people walking by their desk being like, you know, you don't have to work this hard. And you're like, what the, can I swear in this podcast? I was like, please go ahead. What the fuck? And as someone coming from a commission background, a results economy, when I first sat in that corporate world, little caveat, I wanted to get away from working weekends for a bit. I've worked weekends my whole life. I had an opportunity to move into the insurance world. And I decided I also wanted to go for that steady paycheck. So that's why I jumped across into insurance world. Because I wanted to see what it was like on that side. I did very well, in my opinion. Promoted, I think I had seven roles in under five years. Got promoted quite quickly. I do that in every environment. And now I'm trying to replicate that in the entrepreneurial world. But going back to my point, was when I first ended up in the insurance world, at a desk, working, 
And I saw the way that people were operating, the way people would talk to customers. I come from a service background where the customer is not always right, but the customer journey is like extremely important. Like you want customers to feel like they want to come back into Harry Rose and they want to walk into the store. They want to come and buy this luxury car. They want to feel great. They want to feel this organization's got my back. At the company that I worked for, you were like shocked. How can you speak to a stakeholder, whether it's a customer, whether it's a company that we do business with? I was just blown away by this lack of professionalism when it came to the customer experience journey. And that's the big difference I see between the two worlds and the two crabs. In the commission and even in the entrepreneurial world, when I see it on Twitter, you do see people fighting because of clout, authority, and, you know, maybe even money, business, scamming, whatever that might be. But within the corporate environment, it's really more about the effort economy. It's about people not wanting to look like they're not working as hard or not being shown up, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I struggle with that myself. Sometimes people or even businesses, and I see them treat other customers or stakeholders or partners or suppliers with a similar attitude, as you just mentioned. And I'm thinking, where's the professionalism here? Obviously, you want to keep the relationship. And like you said, the customer isn't always right, but you want to keep the customer happy. Yeah, I used to say, and I still believe this wholeheartedly, is that it's not the mistakes that you do with your customers or partners or suppliers. You can make mistakes, but it's how you treat them afterwards, how you fix them, how you reverse them, that really creates experience. And sometimes it really pushes yourself. Then you obviously excelled because you had that kind of mentality, but you get to a point where there's this hard wall that stopping it from going forward. And actually brings me to my next question, which makes me curious. You said a few months ago, you went full time to this entrepreneurial path. When was it? And how was the moment that he said, let me start doing something on the side for myself? It's been an evolving journey since about 2016. I started a small YouTube channel. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was recording on my phone. I started it back in 2016 because I had this like idea of like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to do anything different? I just left the sales job and I moved into the insurance world. And I had actually a little bit more free time in the weekends. And I was just one of those people where I wanted more time to myself to better myself. I didn't want more free time to myself so I could go skiing, drinking at the weekend or go out partying. I was like, oh my God, now I have free time to shoot videos and read books and actually do personal development and not feel like I'm working all the time. So I started this YouTube channel and I kept it going quite regularly for a couple of years. And I've got 1,500 subscribers, but I've got like 200 something plus videos. A lot of them are terrible. It was just me figuring stuff out. I think I still got my first video up and it's me on an iPhone, not even making eye contact with the camera. I'm saying a lot of ums and ahs, and I've really tried to work that out of my speaking. Still a work in progress. But what happened with that is it got me used to doing things differently. It got me used to putting myself out there. Like I had an Instagram, I had a Twitter account, started them all into about 2017. And a lot of my friends and sort of my network saw me doing this. And it got me past that embarrassment level. It got me past that fear. Because the first time I posted a YouTube video, I literally put my face down in the sofa. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I've just posted a YouTube video and I've posted it on Facebook. And I've posted on all these different platforms and people are going to see what I'm doing. And I was just high level embarrassed, like really embarrassed. It was really difficult. But I just started doing it. I just started doing it every week. I, I had to challenge myself to do 52 videos in 52 weeks. And that just continued on. Then I kind of got a bit 
tired of it because I started to understand the, the levels that people had to get to. I started to understand YouTube a bit better. Um, I was struggling to actually make an income out of it. I wasn't making any money really at all from it, but I was still enjoying the process. Funny enough, it actually helped me become a better speaker. So when people put a microphone in my hand or I went and taught a classroom, I had all these great examples because I'd maybe just shot a video on the 10 best productivity habits. So I went and did a workshop. I was able to speak on those 10 habits because I'd just done a video about it. So I had all these ideas just fresh in your mind. It's like the strategic byproduct of actually focusing on yourself helps you in many areas in your life. But the real shift for me was the pandemic. I had bought all our courses on coaching, not only for my corporate life, but I'd thought about it for years, probably in the back of my mind since I was at Harry Rosen, I think I left 2015, 2016. I, there was always this idea, as I said, my staff or the people on my team were calling me coach, this idea about becoming a coach, but I just didn't really know how to do it, how to attract clients, what to do, fear maybe about jumping out on your own. It took me maybe four years, five years to kind of like actually figure out what I would do as a coach. And that's productivity, performance, that route of trying to help people get to the next level, help people project manage their lives to get bigger results. And it was the pandemic that allowed me to work from home. When did the pandemic start? 2020? I think we went into lockdown or it wasn't really lockdown because British Columbia hasn't really done many lockdowns except right at the start. It was March 2020. I started working from home and I was on this large project at the company I was working for, but it had just started. And if you know anything about project world or doing projects in the corporate environment, 50% of your work, if not more, happens after 50% of the project has gone by. You're on a project for a year and you know in six months it's about to get really busy, but your first six months was kind of empty. I wasn't doing a lot. So I started playing around on Twitter when I was waiting for meetings or waiting for actual work to do. I had literally nothing to do. I was getting paid for a couple of months to do very little at this corporate job. And I got on Twitter and I started doing things a bit differently. Before, for years, I just posted my YouTube links and I had about 75 followers after about three or four years. And then I went from March 2020 to today, I think I've got 37,000 followers. You know, a year and a half later, I think this time last year, I think I had 3,000 followers. So I've really grown in the last year. But your question was, when did the idea come in to be entrepreneurial? Is this past 18 months? growing, releasing things and making a couple of grand over the space of a couple of weeks and realizing, wow, people buy your stuff, putting out coaching offers, collecting emails, asking people who want to jump on phone call, signing coaching clients and actually working with people. And then as I was doing that, and I've got a couple of clients and I'm not like blowing it out of the water. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I just walked straight out of a corporate job in a multiple six figure business. No, it's not like that at all. Am I surviving? Yes. Am I making as much as I used to in my corporate job? No, not yet but I will. I'll pass it. 100% I will. It's going to happen. But the point was, the reason I left is a number of things. But I took the lead because I was feeling a bit like the organization was dragging me down. That was one reason. I also found out that I would have to be back in the office early, late June, early July. And that would mean no more Twitter. That would mean no more of this. And then I sat down with my wife and I kind of went, look, okay, so I'm not really happy in the corporation. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing right now. The job that they're probably going to send me to is going to be back to like an hour commute or at worst 45 minutes each way a day. And I started writing down all the things. I'm going to be in an office. I'm not going to be able to do calls during the day, you know, coaching calls. I'm going to have no access to Twitter or very limited access to Twitter. So that growth's going to stop. I'm not going to be able to continue the slow build when it comes to coaching clients and it comes to info products. I just ordered everything out and we just decided April 
May time. I'm going to pull the plug. And it was just that decision because I just felt like everything that the corporate world was signaling to me when things were being said to me on calls, I could feel in my stomach. I don't want to do that. Anybody listening to this, if you're constantly getting that signal when somebody's saying something to you and your initial response is, I don't want to do that, don't do it because you'll start living incongruently. You'll not be aligned. And I took that leap. That's basically what happened. That was a very long answer to your short question, but I hope that covered the whole entrepreneurial start to end journey. Absolutely fantastic. I just want to say that that gut feeling and even stomach ache that I experienced twice in my life, quite distinctively, I remember them very well and couldn't agree more. Yeah, you're a very well-spoken dude and I get motivated talking to you. So you found your path. It's funny, you're like the matrix unplugging people are you going to tell every corporate guy to leave their job? So this is what I want to talk about. There's a lot of you know thought leaders, someone like Naval or people who have an abundance of money and then they move to philosophy or they say, how do I live my life? And they try and teach. It's easy when you're already made it, but kind of like what we're doing with the show, is it moving? You know, I've heard this unit of one. So the content creator, the self-actualizing of finding your own way online very common thread on Twitter, as you said, it's a total shift from corporate world. And I was going to originally ask the boring question of the work from home, but you basically answered it. So what do you say about, do you teach someone to be better on their own so that they can leave the corporate world? Are you basically a life coach or are you saying, I'll make you do your eight hour job in four hours so that you can relax a bit? Or is it kind of different for everybody? What you just said right at the end there, it's different for everybody. My whole goal, I've got people who are struggling just to sort of get their shit together, got decent jobs, but they just kind of let things unravel and they're watching too much Netflix, eating too much food or whatever. They've got other issues going on just besides productivity issues or performance issues, but I see it all as one thing. I'm not a health coach, but it's almost like it'd be cool to have a company where you have a, a fitness coach, a productivity coach, and maybe like a spiritual philosophy coach working together. And as a client, you get to spend time with each because I really do feel like a three-pillared stool in your life. You've got to be spiritually, mentally connected. You've got to be physically connected and you've got to actually know how to perform energy-wise and productivity-wise. I don't think it's the same for everybody. I have worked with a corporate guy who felt like he wasn't getting into his high attack productivity zones where he was doing the part of his job that actually made him the most money. So I worked with him to get him into those zones because he was spending a lot of time running a team doing busy work. I've worked with other people who are in the corporate world, but they've also got their side business and working with them. How do you work a full-time corporate job, but also build a side business and have helped people with their productivity around that? I'm not here to tell people to leave your corporate job. No, I'm here to tell people anything that you're doing right now, you can do that in less time and at higher output. I always admired efficiency. And even though I admit I can always improve, to me, that's what I look forward in life. And I think that's perhaps what you're coming after here is that you can be more productive doing less work by being more efficient, right? And obviously, perhaps focusing on other aspects of your life, whether it was a business, family. And there are a lot of people that I know actually enjoy their corporate jobs, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And they have aspirations in terms of I want to be a CEO or not necessarily even in the business field, but I want to run my own team that would try to maybe solve the crisis in cosmology, for example, something yeah. like that. Some people got into the field, whether it was medicine, science, business, and perhaps you are that guy that would be able to take that noise away and really focus on what they want. And it's different, like you said, for everyone. It is extremely different for everyone. 
I specifically aim towards corporate professionals or business owners because I really feel like they're the people who are trying to achieve things. I, I want to help people get more control over their life and feel like they're heading towards their goals. I think a lot of times, a lot of people suffer from procrastination. They also suffer from overwhelm. That is down to the fact that they've got way too many things and ideas they want to achieve. I was on a call yesterday with a gentleman and he was saying how good he is at planning. And I was like, oh, cool, interesting. Show me your to-do list. And he showed me this list and he was talking about being overwhelmed, but he thinks he's a good planner. But then he had this list of like six things. And I looked at the list and every single one of those things probably would take anywhere between maybe one to three hours to do. And he was saying, oh, yeah, I wanted to get all these done yesterday before our call this morning. And I said, look, you just told me you were a good planner, but you've got a list of things that you've just shown me that I can tell instinctively just by reading them that each of them are going to be an hour to three hours each to do. And you said you wanted to do them in a 24-hour period. Most people can only do about four hours of work a day, maybe six. So that's why you're not getting your list done, because you're over-planning yourself. You're creating overwhelm in your own life. You're creating these barriers that make you procrastinate because you're telling yourself you want to get like 12 hours of work done within a four-hour period. And then people wonder why they're never performing. And then they beat themselves up and they're like, oh, I didn't get my list done. Yeah, because your list is effing ridiculous. That's not how you are effective in life. And that's what I really feel like if you want to get better. Having a coach, having somebody to come in and look at you, get someone to have perspective. I even need it. I need a coach. I need perspective. I need people to say to me, you're doing things wrong. It's very hard sometimes to get perspective on your own. There are exercises that you can do. But when I talk to somebody very quickly, one or two calls into coaching or even just one initial call, I can already see where their problems are. It's just this overwhelm list, these bad habits that people do that they think they're the right thing to do because you, you go on a BuzzFeed, 10 ways to be productive. 99% of those lists are on Twitter, 15 ways to smash your day or whatever. Have a to-do list. I'm like, no, no, don't. Do not have a to-do list. To-do lists are the worst thing in the world if you want to be a performer. They just really do slow you down and make you feel like you're failing because you've just got this endless list of stuff that you haven't done yet. Yeah. Have you heard of like the inbox zero email style oh, thing? Yeah, I don't care about that. My inbox is 2000 or something. Yeah, that's fine. But I guess to-do list, no. So what makes to-do lists so bad and how do you structure your day without them? I have a, on a radar list. I have three blocks to my list. I have a journaling system that I use. I have Getting done this week, which is my big rocks. It's a Stephen Covey idea. If you've heard of Stephen Covey, I think everybody has. But your big rocks are usually your three big things you're doing this week. And those three big things can be broke down into like 12 smaller things. You do three a day. Or they could be three big things that you just get three of them done like one hour a day. Whatever that is, but you just have to break it down. Then I have on a radar list, which is stuff that's just on my radar. I'm not even thinking about it. But because I put it on my radar list, I subconsciously tell my brain, I'm not thinking about that right now. And the third block that I write things are things that I'm learning, podcasts, I'm listening to books, I'm reading, courses I'm currently doing, just to remind me where I am, what I'm doing. I usually like write down some ideas that I've pulled from them once a week in my journal. My is I will never overload myself for my big rocks for the week that's coming up. If I can't evenly distribute everything on my list of things to do evenly and within a respectable time frame over the course of a five to seven day work week. I know that I'm overloading myself. So I have to move something down onto my radar list. And that's something I'll do next week or the week after. But what a lot of people do with to-do lists is they just write out like 20 things. And something could be massive, like write that book I've never started. 
tidy my whole house. Whatever it is, this mental weight. And what you're actually doing with a to-do list is you're basically opening up 100 tabs on your CPU and your brain. And then you're asking your brain, okay, what are you focusing on now? Your brain doesn't know, do you want me on the tab for the book that you've wanted to write for 10 years? Or do you want me on the tab of the project that you're currently working on within your job? Which one do you want me to focus on? And I think that's the problem. That's my easiest way to describe why just a list of things that you need to do is detrimental to your success. I always laugh because everyone's got that perpetual, I'm going to write a book. And there was a good growth hacker, similar to what you're talking about. I think he was at Yelp. And what he said was when it comes to to to-do lists, you can't say, I'm going to solve the climate crisis and put that on your agenda. He was like, be very explicit. So he was like, fill a black garbage bag full of stuff from the closet you don't need. And I think when it comes to small actionable tasks, it makes sense. Like I'm going to pay my bill tomorrow. So you don't miss some of the basics, but you're totally right because it's not an action plan. It doesn't get you from A to B. What I've done for myself is I moved to a calendar system as opposed to to to-do list. So if I have like a bill payment or some menial task, I'll throw it on my calendar and I don't really pay attention to the time. I just know that on that day, it won't get missed. I do a very similar system for getting back to clients. So as you know, with sales, fast responders win. You can't let people follow up with you. I always say if your customer is following up with your sales rep, then you're not doing your job, right? But what it comes down to is I know that before I go home that day or before I wind down my night, those tasks will be done no matter how basic. Yeah. And there's a different type of task. There's sort of like your project task and then your process task or your high cognitive task or your low cognitive task, whatever way you want to put it. And I think a lot of times people spend their whole week doing the process tasks or the low cognitive tasks and they don't really get anything done. It's like the busy work because mainly, as you say, they make their project tasks vague. Like I want to write a book, want to start a YouTube channel, I want to grow on Twitter, whatever that is. They don't actually write down, okay, if I want to grow on Twitter, that is at least three tweets a day, 20 comments under large accounts, maybe 10 retweets and 10 DMs to people around me to say hi and whatever that is. There's an actual structure, a daily structure to how you grow on Twitter. And take that idea that I just described and you plug it into anything that people are doing. Like you're saying, people don't get that specific with their goals. So they end up getting overwhelmed. And then they just focus on the busy work because the busy work makes them feel like they're getting stuff done during the day. They feel like they're doing things, but they're not really doing things. I actually call it romanticizing entrepreneurship, where the first thing you do when you go start a business is you tell everyone, hey, I started a business and that's the end of it. And then you become that person who never really actually gets anything done and you wonder why it's not growing. So no, I really like that. And I guess here's my question. So I always find it's a give and take process. You'll set up your 10 tweets a day. You had talked about perspective, but what about the realization that, okay, maybe, you know, two good tweets is more important than 10 tweets. You eventually learn, you have a feedback loop of, okay, what's working, what's not. And I guess why I'm bringing this up is because it's the essence of growth. It's how you can go from one follower to a hundred to 10,000 and each step of the way is going to be different. So I think as you kind of pay attention and you learn and grow between those different levels. I think that's important, right? And back to the whole different for everybody or, you know, goals are different. How do you navigate through, let's say from your first paying customer to the next 10 or the next hundred, there has to be a difference in process, or maybe you get better. You're the master at, you know, time efficiency. So what used to take maybe a longer time to prep for a call, now it's on autopilot. You already know what you're doing, right? 
Yeah, first of all, yeah, before I even coached anybody, I already had a journey mapped out. You know, my project management background is like, what's the journey? So I, I probably have anywhere between 20 to 30 different mental exercises that I can use at any different time that helps a client get clarity. I've created a seven-day course that I sell on my timeline, but it's actually the seven exercises that I get every single one of my clients when they sign up. I send them the course for free and I says, ignore all the emails supporting the course, maybe the sales emails at the end, but do these exercises before our first meeting. And what that allows me to do is I like to level set with them and clear the runway. So that to me is a hack because as soon as you have a client on board, you want to give them something to do. I also use a Trello board, which is like an interactive board that again, I learned from project management. And I have a template that I just, as soon as I get a client, boom, finish the call, the payment comes through. I've already sent them an email of access to a Trello board with how to contact me, a couple of free resources, some of my free guys, maybe something special in there that they talked about. I'll add some links to some videos or whatever. So, you know, within that first couple of days of hiring me, you know, they're already got work to do. They've already got seven exercises they are going to take them seven days to complete. And they've already got like a base command of success where we're going to talk. It's almost like when you sign up to a coaching program with a massive guru, you've got that website that they send you to. I mean, I'm not a massive guru. I don't think I'd ever want to be described as a guru personally. <laughs> I don't like that idea. But that customer journey and that customer experience thing was always on my mind. Now, do I feel like I've got better since my first client? A hundred percent. I do. I'm always thinking about how to be better. I'm always thinking about when a session ends, updating the board of what was said, and also how can I make it more interactive? How can I get the client engaged in the process and actually doing what I'm saying. So there's all these different ideas that you're always thinking about. You're always trying to test, learn, adapt to make your experience better. I mean, as an entrepreneur and as somebody who is now basing his income on people paying me to coach them, there's that fear of like not getting the customer experience right and the client saying, well, I don't want to be coached by anymore. And I'm like, that's going to happen at some point. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. So, you know, in sales or whatever, I've always experienced that people bringing clothes back. I know from working in sales, and you guys probably know this way from sales, is like everybody who you talk to is not going to be a sale. But the better you get at your job, the better you get at recognizing the type of client or the type of clothes or the type of product that person's looking for by the questions you use, how you interact with them, by the systems like as an entrepreneur, the systems that you set up that attract people to you. I think when I first started out asking for phone calls, I was getting a lot of low quality people. I don't want to say low quality as a bad term. There weren't low quality people. They were the wrong type of person that maybe can't afford the type of packages that I'm selling. I don't want to call them low quality people. They were not great leads for what I was offering. That would be a better way to put it. So you have to iterate. You have to test your systems. Because at the end of the day, I have a goal of wanting to have anywhere between 15 to 20 people a month book a discovery call. I call that a performance booster and procrastination. Now I get instant results. I really do feel like within about 30 minute, 40 minute period, I can look at someone and be like, these are three things you need to do and they're going to improve your performance automatically. So I get people on those phone calls. If I can get 15 to 20 a month, I know that if I close 20 to 30%, I have a six figure business. That's basically what I'm aiming for and what I'm working towards. That's the goal. But yeah, going back to your point, everything is always iteration, pivoting, iteration. You do not stand still as an entrepreneur. You always wanted to improve your results. Yeah. I want to make a point for everyone listening who doesn't want to necessarily take the entrepreneur path. All these skills are relatable. You can use them to make your life better. And like you said early on, just know when things are not right or when things are going well and lean into that and grow. And it just makes everything better, your relationships, your yep. business life, your personal habits. And 
I think awareness is such a huge topic because without knowing something's wrong, how can you begin to change your habits in the first place? Yeah, and that's a big part of my journey, the meditation, the journaling, the mental exercises. I mean, that's where my personal development journey started. If I'm peeling back the layers and getting a bit honest about my background, is I wasted my 20s. I was a poster boy for the things that you shouldn't do in your 20s. You know, I partying at the weekend, working paycheck to paycheck, because I thought life was about that. I thought that's what you did in life. You work your nine to five, you go out at the weekend, chase ladies, you drink, you go to cool restaurants, you go to cool nightclubs, like you're living the Hollywood life. But it's a fake life. It's a materialistic life. It's a life that once you actually start sitting down and doing meditation or journaling or you know actually gaining perspective in your life, you actually start to understand how hollow all that is and how it actually doesn't fulfill you. And that was one of the key kind of turning points in my life was developing those habitual systems, those routines that actually made me realize that a lot of the things that I was doing in my life were actually taking me down the wrong path. Totally. And you had mentioned earlier about some clients not being a good fit. Who's the perfect client that you want to work with in this moment in time? The perfect client is somebody who has that feeling inside them that they know they can do more and be better, but they're not quite sure. Someone who wants change. I don't care whether they're a corporate professional, you know, middle manager, somebody who is stuck in a cubicle, who's earning 50, 60K a year, whatever that is, all the way through to an entrepreneur who's feeling a bit lost. It's not really, his name is Chris, he's age 55. He works in the medical industry. I know people get very, very specific with their avatar. What I look for are people who obviously can afford what I do, but it's more about how they're mentally prepared for it. If you're reaching out to me looking for help, you probably are somebody who I want to work with already. On top of that, I always look for people who, when I'm speaking to them, that they're actually aiming for big things in life. I mean, I've actually had phone calls with people and they will start talking to me about online business growth or Twitter growth. And I'll just walk away from that phone call. That's not what I do. And again, that might be down to my onboarding system. But ideally, I am looking to help people who had a little bit of success already in their life. They've already done things. They're at a level where maybe they've got into that comfort zone. They've got a house, they've got an apartment, they've got a car, maybe they're in the corporate job, they started their small business or whatever that is. And they've got a level to a plateau and they just kind of feel like I need to shift. Something's not right with me. I'm not fulfilling myself. How do I get more done in less time? How do I start aiming towards my big goals in life? And that to me is more of the mindset of the ideal client rather than breaking down to you know, I want to work with corporate professionals age 25 to 35 who earn 80K a year who come from the Vancouver area. I mean, I could get that specific with my avatar. Maybe I should. But at the end of the day, it's more about the mindset that I'm looking for. I want people who want to be helped. That's who I want to help. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. And I think that's the beauty of the internet, which is we have a unique moment in time where we can all learn and grow from each other. Everything's out there. You just have to look. I think there's so many different ways to make these connections and to find your own journey. I think that's essential. You won't know unless you try, right? So unless you take that step to get better and to want to grow, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And that's a big step. And I think a lot of people on the part of Twitter that I'm on, a lot of people are there because they are looking for something else. They are looking to improve. And I think it's a very unique part of Twitter. I think it's actually a very new part of the online space as well. When I do online courses or I dip into developing my own skills, I've sat on calls and I've done courses from some pretty big players in the world of online business. 
And very few of them talk about Twitter as a place to get clients. They talk about Instagram. They talk about Facebook. They talk about podcasts. But I very rarely hear Twitter come up. Money Twitter's only been around for a couple of years, really. It's really something that's developed since the 280 character thing dropped where people were able to do a bit more. I'm not a Twitter historian. I guess people have always been making money on Twitter somehow. But this side of Twitter, this little sort of environment that we're in, it still seems quite new. I'm kind of blessed to be part of that because I struggle to grow on Instagram. I hate Facebook as a platform. I just despise it. I don't even like the user interface of it. It's not a platform that I like going on that often at all. Instagram, I find was really difficult. I don't know if words to describe it. I try using it, but I just find it. I've not quite got my vibe on there. Twitter has just worked for me for the way that I think, for the way I put out tweets. It's just happened for me on here, which has been great. But going back to that point, that environment that we're in, there's so much opportunity and there's so many people wanting to get better. It's such a warm market. The majority of people who actually book calls to me, they really want help. Some of those people might not be the best fit for me financially wise, because when I quote my prices, which aren't amazingly expensive, you get people who they just want some free advice. That happens as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you will get people doing that. But Everybody who speaks to me, they want to improve. Everybody wants to improve. It's just about having products available to them. And that's why I have products starting at 20 bucks. And I have a high ticket coaching offer. Because if someone doesn't want to sign me up for six months from a coaching offer, here's a seven-day course you can have for $20. There's having these, I think Russell Branson calls it the value ladder. You know, you have this journey that you can take people on, but you're helping your community and the community of Money Twitter and Success Twitter is full of people that just want to get better. And that's a very good point you bring is for those who want free advice, I'm sure that's where they can find you on Twitter. And I'm assuming that's how you're able to really boost the number of followers. You provide quality content. So a lot of them even can benefit from those tweets that you put out there. Obviously, they see value in it and that's how they follow you. Yeah, and that's basically it. I mean, I've been lucky enough to grow quite well on Twitter. It's been a great journey. My growth has slowed a little bit over the last couple of months because I'm not focusing so much on growth anymore. I think it's a trap that people fall into, especially on social media. When I was at my corporate job, I didn't really have time to coach people. I had time to sell my info products and build those things. So what I did was I focused on growth and I pushed, 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 pushed growth because I thought, well, the more followers I got, the easier it will be to be a coach, the easier it will be to sell products. Obviously, that is slightly true. But in reality, there are accounts out there with two, 3,000 followers that actually provide specific services that are absolutely killing it, doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Accounts you wouldn't even know their names, but people like myself, I've got 37,000 followers. I have a specific coaching offer. I make money. Yes, certainly do. But the point here is if you have something very valuable to sell people and you have a very, very specific skill set, like you are a fantastic copywriter, your time should be spent doing outreach selling. And that's what I've been doing over the last couple of months. It's all about doing the outreach now. It's like the numbers are great. Followers are great. It's very helpful. But really, it's about the result. You have 37,000 followers, month-on-month revenue. You have 50,000 followers. What does that look like, month-on-month revenue? While the glamour numbers are great, and it's great for the ego, and it looks brilliant, I have really switched over to being what I care about now, going back to the sales management background. What I really care about now is what's my output each month? What's my hourly rate? How much am I actually getting paid from the work that I'm doing? And that's a switch that I made pretty much since I left my corporate job. It switched from growth and you know glamour numbers to like, well, how can I actually monetize this, optimize this, 
provide the most value I can and really make a business out of this. So I definitely feel like my growth has slowed over the last couple of months. I'm not so focused on it because I don't feel like it's the most important number in my life. Yeah, I love how you have different products for everyone because it opens you up to the possibility to see which one works best. And if the overarching goal is to help as many people as you can, and like you said, be efficient, you don't want to onboard people who aren't a good fit, but that $20 course is a fantastic idea because imagine 10,000 people downloading that and changing 10,000 lives. All of a sudden you get paid for it. It's really cool because we are in a unique moment in time where you can do that. You can do these bite-sized courses. You can do these one-on-one sessions. And I think at the end of the day, you've won, which is you've got control of your time. You can choose your own direction and you can help others do the same, really is what it comes down to. That's a great point. One of the main things I really love about this part of my journey is it really feels like this crazy game that I'm playing. It is an emotional roller coaster. It is the most difficult thing that I've ever done. I've had a lot of wins over the last few months, but I've had a lot of losses. I've had a lot of days sitting in the wilderness, like, what have I done? Oh my God. It's a crazy experience, but it's the experience I think deep down I wanted because I feel like entrepreneurship is personal development in disguise. There are limiting beliefs. There's barriers that I feel like I want to break through. And I feel like the only way I'm going to break through them is by working by myself. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to figure everything out myself. I'm always going to hire people, speak to people, be coached by people. People are going to help me because no one's a self-made man. Anybody who says they're a self-made man is an egotistical prick, in my opinion, because you get lots of ideas from people around you in the environment you live in subconsciously, consciously, where it's a community almost. It takes a village to raise a child kind of idea. But I really feel like this is a journey. It's going to be the best thing that I've ever done in my life. That's how I feel about it. When I moved to Canada, I had this feeling inside of me, this is the best thing I'm going to do for my life right now. And it did end up like that. And I think getting a bit more on the spiritual side of things, when you have a feeling about something and you say that to yourself and you believe it, it comes true. That's very powerful stuff. And what do you say to someone who isn't used to thinking that way or hasn't seen the light where they understand that they can create their own path and what they believe in actually has a huge impact on their life. How do you get them from that sleep to awake moment where they actually open their eyes and even start to think that things can be possible? I honestly would deconstruct my own journey in that sense. And I would go back to, well, how did I wake up? And I woke up really by wanting to be a little bit better, but also I woke up by just doing basic personal development habits and routines consistently over a long period of time. Now, this sort of pulling people out of the matrix or waking people up, I honestly think when you look at that movie, The Matrix, and you look at the billions of people that are in The Matrix and the fact that people who lived in Zion, so few of them got pulled out, I actually believe that that is the same. I don't think everybody is going to wake up. I don't think everybody wants to. I think people know that entrepreneurship is an option. I think people know that you can work on your own. But I think a lot of people don't want to choose that path. I think they mentally, educationally wise, decide they cognitively are aware that they don't want to choose that path. Then you have a whole bunch of people who are completely asleep and don't even know it's a possibility. And they're just more interested in their Netflix. You know, I don't want to be too hard on people. Maybe their life is taking their kids to hockey practice in the morning. Their life is taking their daughter to the dance class. And that's their life. That's the thing that brings them spiritual fulfillment, children, family. I don't want to make sound like everybody who's not an entrepreneur is a zombie. Not true at all. I just think that 
there's a smaller percentage of people that have this itch or they have this desire to want to do things differently and be better. But the only way I feel like you're going to discover that is by doing self-reflection work. And this is where I'm going back to the building blocks of where I got started. It was journaling. It was meditation. It was goal setting. Those simple three trifecta, really basic personal development or personal growth ideas. When I started doing those three things and setting bigger goals, you know, you hit those goals, you set bigger goals, you know, you, you, you journal and reflect, you grow, you realize you want to get rid of these negative beliefs or limiting beliefs or this anger you have towards somebody in your life. You want to get rid of those. You do meditation and you slow down time of meditation. You're able to feel more connected to yourself. It's a fantastic skill for your brain for learning. There's so much scientific studies behind why it's so good for you. So I've been doing those three things since 2012, 2011. And I've gone from a retail manager in seven years to earning six figures in sales, six figures in the corporate environment, and now in the last couple of months, becoming an entrepreneur. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but those basic habits have been the cornerstone or the foundations of my life. Well, it's going to be eight, nine years now, and they've significantly changed me as a person. So if somebody wants to wake up or somebody is hearing this and they feel like, oh, I wouldn't mind trying that, well, go buy a journal, download a meditation app, set yourself goals smart goals, realistic goals, and start working towards them. That's awesome. Sounds like you really found your way. Super proud of you. You've taken the plunge and it's all come together. So would you ever teach meditation? It's brought up a lot. Or is it just a small piece of coaching where you'll defer that part to someone else? Where do you envision the product down the line? What do you think makes the most sense? Well, for me, one of the first things that I do with all my clients, one of the first exercises after they did the seven-day one is I get them to design their success starter, which is their daily morning routine. Now, for some people, that's two hours of going to the gym, reading a book, podcast. Other people, it's literally a five-minute meditation journaling. Again, everybody's different. I have people who I coach that have to work out in the morning. I have people who I coach, like myself, that working out in the morning ruins the rest of the day because they feel like they've got something done and they lose that focus energy. So I work out at four o'clock in the afternoon because everything's different. What I find about the personal development industry is that a lot of gurus and a lot of blog posts, like the billionaire morning routine, like every morning routine has got to be specific to you and your needs and where you are in your life. Trying to copy a billionaire's morning routine is like trying to copy Usain Bolt running 100 meters under 10 seconds. You're not going to do it. The guy's a fucking billionaire who's been at this for 30 or 40 years in his life. Then you're going to go and copy his morning routine? No, start small, start with reasonable, start with something that's realistic to you. But with the meditation part of it, I would defer people to professionals in that area. For me, I have stopped using guided meditation apps. I've stopped using Headspace or things like that. I now just meditate on my own. I put a timer on and I breathe. But to get to that point, I had to do years of guided meditations, years of using these apps to get myself into the flow of closing my eyes and breathing. And I used to start at five minutes. Now I can go 15, 20, 30 minutes and it just happens because I've put the reps in over the years. Sometimes I fall out of it, but I know where to start again. It's an ebb and flow. So meditation, I think everybody should do it. It should be taught in schools. Everybody should be meditating every day. Lockdowns, let's enforce meditation on people. I'm kidding. (laughs) Everybody's got to wear a mask, but you got to meditate first. I joke. But when I'm teaching people or I'm coaching people, I always give people links to people who are much more knowledgeable on a specific area. If someone's having a diet issue, I'll talk about what I do, but I'll send links to like Dave Asprey, Bulletproof Diet or someone who's a dietitian or someone's having problems with their fitness or calisthenics. Hey, check this guy out on Twitter. 
I think that it's my duty as a coach, it's my duty as the person to give people the best information possible. And if that isn't coming from me, it should be coming from somebody who is professional in those areas. Yeah, you made a really good point here, which is you can't just copy and paste someone's day to day. You have to examine yourself and then add things in or take things out and make it your own. And I think that's the essence to changing your life to improving yourself, which is you have to be okay with who you are. There's no situation that means you can't grow or learn from it. So I think being okay with that and then swapping out habits, routines, you have to be proud of who you are. You have to be proud of where you've come along. And I think getting that foundation takes that acceptance. You have to step back and say, it's all part of the process, right? I think the underlying theme here, which I know it is unfortunately a very businessy term too, like you said, with customer journey, but life is a journey and everyone's journey is their own. So There's no right or wrong, but we all kind of slowly move along and come to realizations that we can do things. And I think that's the ultimate power. Yeah, it's really well said. I fully agree with that. It is a journey. And one of my favorite sayings is test, learn, adapt. And I look at that as a daily thing. Everything that you do, you're testing, you're learning from it, and you're adapting from it. And I think that if you were to pull that as a methodology for your life, I think you'd do very, very well. Awesome. Steven, it's been an amazing chat. All the best in the future. We'd love to have you back on the show sometime. And thanks for being our coach for the last hour. I loved it. Great conversation to have on a Sunday morning. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. And it was a pleasure. And where can people find you? What's the best way to contact you? Anything you want to plug? Sure. Yeah. Best place to find me where you'll see me every day is on Twitter at My Success Theory. I have a website called Your Success Theory as well. So my Twitter page is about my success. My website is about your success. Also, I recently launched about a month or two ago, I launched a course. It was a seven-day performance course. It's on my website. It's called the seven-day performance system. It's a $27.99 course. And it is the seven exercises that I have every single one of my clients first do. It's exercises that we start with clearing sort of mental loops and getting rid of mental barriers going all the way through to how to install a habit, all the way through the exercises around getting over your fears and getting connected to your why. If you're serious about getting started on your personal development journey, or you're looking to improve your productivity performance in seven days, you can have exercises that are going to help you do that. So please check that out. That's where I am. I do have a YouTube channel called Success Series as well. If you want to see some of my YouTube journey, my embarrassing YouTube journey that is still up for my first video, it's all there. But yeah, my success theory on Twitter is the best place to start. Just a reminder that everyone starts somewhere. So that's great. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, really appreciate it. It's been brilliant talking to both of you. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Stephen. Likewise here. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.